Well, folks, a very warm welcome to our latest Generation podcast. Again, we are in COVID-19 conditions, so we're doing everything online. And uh, we have gone international today, so my guest is uh, Rico Tice. Rico, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a delight to, to be online and listening to you. Great. And hearing. Great. Can you tell the the listeners what your job title is? What are you doing for ministry just now? Yes, I'm, I've been on staff at All Souls for 25 years, just really as a curate, as a number two. So I'm ordained in the Church of England, but was always intending to be an evangelist. So went to a local church family where I've stayed. And um, I really use that church as a bit of a laboratory to work out resources, which then I push out via Christianity Explored. So Christianity Explored may be what people have heard of in terms of connecting with me and All Souls. And that's where we, you know, we try stuff in All Souls, for example, teaching Mark's Gospel. And we're on our sixth edition now. We run it and run it and run it. And then the lessons we learn, we we try and push out and resource the wider church with. If you're a larger church, I think it's only justification is that you try and resource other churches. Um, and at the same time, then we get great feedback from people in different contexts, but with the same theology. So we're just working away at evangelism, but always doing it not just from the desk, but from the from the laboratory in the local church, seeing how the material is working in real lives. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is fascinating. You know, before I became mission director, I was senior minister of a church up in the north of Scotland. We used evangel- um, Christianity Explored. And it was the single most effective tool that we ever used. Now, don't take offence at this, but we often wondered why. Because it was really, really simple. Um, I, I also thought that there was a lot of prayer going behind it. Can you explain how a fairly simple model has been so singularly effective? Well, yep, um... David, you know, really, it's because we let the gospel tell the gospel. I mean, here's an arrogant statement from a middle-class Englishman, so please forgive it. But if we said to God, what's the best way of doing evangelism? I think he would say to us, why don't you go through the books I've given you about my son? So that's just simply what we did. So Christianity Explored is about Jesus in Mark's gospel, and you can ask any question you like. And really, it was as simple as that. It was just having the confidence that the gospel would do the work. Now, the great thing about Christian Explored was, was that we discovered in Mark's gospel, there are three words that enable you to teach it, which is identity, who is Jesus? Mission, why did he come? Call, what does it mean to follow him? And basically, just about every verse in Mark's gospel is either about who is Jesus or why did he come? Or what does it mean to follow him? Now, once the leaders get that, they really get the confidence to believe they can teach it and train it. And so it, 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 it's really so simple in terms of that experience of leading, because you're going through Mark's gospel, knowing that every verse is either about who he is, why he came, what it means to follow him. And then the theme of blindness, that most of the people in Mark's gospel are blind. Mm -hmm. They can't see who he is or why he came. What does it mean to follow him? So the question is, can you see? So that's the drama in it. Now, that is a very, very simple um, gospel presentation. But, of course, it's the power of the word as people look at the text for themselves. 
And so we also had this great theme, which was that you get a talk from the front, you look at it in a small group, you discuss it with your leaders one to one, you take it home to read it. So then the word of God was going out at those four levels. And I think often in our churches, we've got to make sure that's happening. Is the Bible going out front, small group, one to one and at home? And of course, you know, we're now really missing, you know, we're, we're, we're trying desperately to adapt in the coronavirus ministry, making sure that we still try and get the Bible out at those levels. Yeah, uh, we'll come on to coronavirus in one second. But one thing I'm really interested in is in evangelism these days, a big emphasis is getting back to the Bible. You know, I'm thinking of UCCF uh, did the uncover thing, reading the Bible yes. with students. Uh, you've got reading the Bible one-to-one, which yes. is becoming really quite big up here in Scotland. Um, you, you know, like you, I find most many folks say to me, you know, I've read the Bible. Now, you, you don't want to call someone a liar. However, you know, you know, do you think most folk have read the Bible when they say that? Well, I, I certainly think UCCF are exactly right when they say to their students, look, just ask them if they've looked for themselves. And if they haven't, would they like to? Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, it, we are in a situation where there is a Bible ignorance. And in some ways, where we are now, which is what makes it so exciting doing evangelism, is it's the difference between talking to a, sorry, this means to be a brutal illustration, but, but talking to a, a virgin and a divorcee about marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the older generation feel they know about religion and they're divorced from it. Mm-hmm. But the younger generation know that they know they don't know. They've never looked at Jesus himself. Would you like to look? So I, I think that thing of look and then look one to one with a friend. So whenever I, I go around the country, I always say, score yourself one to ten in terms of the church you first went to in terms of teaching from the front. One out, out of ten, small group out of ten, one to one out of ten and home Bible reading out of ten. And the scores are normally seven out of ten for the preaching, five out of ten for a small group, naught for one to one. It was never done six for personal Bible reading. And so that's the great gap. There just wasn't that tradition of opening the Bible individually with people. And um, I think the churches that are seeing that there's a, because then you can, you can get your people trained up. Mm-hmm. So that's a hugely exciting thing at the moment. The question is, will the older generation who never had it done with them take the risk and do it with others? So it's a real battle to get people for whom, their experience of ministry was never, oh gosh, someone read the Bible with me individually because it happened by osmosis. Yeah, to be doing it with others. Yeah, and it's kind of counterintuitive because you almost imagine it's a little bit weird saying to someone, you know, would you like to read the Bible with me? And then uh, the lights went on for me when I realised, well, it doesn't actually I mean reading it out loud, which is a bit weird. Um, does it seem a bit weird to you? Yeah, well, I no, I no longer say, do you want to leave the Bible with me? I, so, I sort of start with, look, can I show you 18 sentences from John's Gospel yeah. that have changed the world and that are very important to me? Because if you say, read the Bible with me, they probably might think <laughs> he wants to look at the book of Leviticus or something. You know, yeah. have yeah. I got to go through all these names? You know, so I think, would you like to read the Bible with me? Actually, is no longer a phrase I'm using. I'm saying, would you like to have a look at the life of Jesus? Or Now, there's always a pain line asking that question. And you're going to get rejected. So we reckon that four out of five people will say no, but one in five will say yes. But in the country, you know, in Britain, that's 7.5 million people. Yeah. 
My, the you said problem the double, is a double glazing sale wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah brother, the, 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 the problem is, of course, if my church family had, if it was like this, where people said, would you look at the Bible with me? My church family would love it. But you've got to risk being rejected by 80% of your friends who like you so that the one in five who still likes you would do it. And I'm saying there's a lot of pain line crossing to just ask people. And, and so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of rejection. I've got to have my identity in Christ. But one in five, which is 7.5 million people, would like to actually look at it. But a vast number who do actually like you, what's amazing in this survey called Talking Jesus is, is that we're very liked in the culture because we're selfless and servant-hearted. But nevertheless, they still don't want to know more. Although what the present crisis is doing on that front is interesting. Yeah. Because... So, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm leading on there to the next issue. What are your thoughts on ministry during the COVID-19 crisis? What are you guys doing at All Souls? Um, what do you think God is saying to us just now? Well, it's very interesting. I think there's a micro and a macro. So on the micro level, there's a great deal of pain. Um, I'm in central London. People are dying. I know good friends who are on ventilators and i certainly think one of them is not going to survive mm. so it's very very painful and people are very fearful of jobs and um you know the schools all the rest of it there's there's a great deal of pain on the macro there seems to me no doubt to me that um the lord is speaking very very strongly in fact um this morning i was thinking about proverbs chapter one which is which is just you know, amazing in terms of what it says, you know, um, Proverbs chapter one, verse 22, how long will you who are simple, love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I'll pour out my thoughts to you. I'll, I'll make my teachings. Uh, I'll make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and don't accept my rebuke, um, I'll turn and laugh when disaster strikes you. I'll mock when calamity overtakes you. You know, I think, you know, I, there's no question in my mind that, 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 that Lord, the Lord is using this plague to discipline those who've taken all his gifts as a given, not a gift. Mm. But, but at the same time, we've got to be conscious and very tender with the individual suffering. Yeah, absolutely. But I think there are. I mean, do you know that? Do you know that last week in Britain, the, in the top five Google subjects was Christianity. Right. Well, that hasn't happened for a long time. Yeah, yeah, it was in the top five of Google. Interestingly, number one was was tuition, home tuition by video. Right. <laughs> so, so that was parents going nuts. But yeah. so, I, so, I think so, there's no doubt there's hunger. So, so what, what are you guys doing just now? I'm presuming you, you're just not on sabbatical on holiday now till September. Um, how are you doing mission and evangelism? Well, brother, the first thing to say is I, I'm bewildered. Mm. So I think we need to learn off each other. I don't want to sit here and say I know. Secondly, the principles are always, number one, we have to pray that God will open blind eyes, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. Secondly, we have to tell the truth. We preach Christ as Lord. And thirdly, um, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, your servants for Jesus' sake. We have to be creative. What does it mean to be all things to all men, to win as many as possible? So I'm applying, let's pray, let's keep telling the truth, 
and let's be as creative as possible. That's that, that that's what I'm thinking in terms of the biblical, the fundamentals of of biblical evangelism. What I am doing is I'm trying to, in the snooker's term, hit the reds. So I'm saying to, I sent out uh, uh, an email to my rugby mates last week from a reunion. We had a 25 year rugby reunion, and I sent one out to the WhatsApp group saying. Here's my boss speaking on this. And one guy got back. So mm. I've hit the reds and he seems to be the one that the Lord's working in. And I'm going to chat with him. You know, he got back and said, that was fascinating. I've had a listen. So let, let's see who's hungry. I don't think people, I think people are in still quite self-reliant mode and going to this bloke, John Wick on a in the morning at nine o'clock and doing gym with him i think they're all pretty self-reliant in the moment but i think that this crisis isn't going away for a bit and i think that there'll be increased hunger as well as the pain for which with which we have to be very sensitive yeah yeah so john wick he's the exercise gym guy isn't he? yeah that's right so at the moment they're all self-reliant and into john wick and we're going to make this work but um i think that that it is going to be very painful i think the world is going to change um the the financial implications are massive for churches and charities um, because our people are going to be clobbered. So we've got to be thinking about that now. You know, I think furlough, you know, so that so that if you if you if you can furlough, furlough, because then there can be an opportunity to to, to have a little bit of a parachute before the financial implications hit after this is over, when the government says they'll pay 80 percent of salary. And certainly there are a couple of people in my office who you know, if they can't come to the office, they can't do their job. So we're furloughing them. And then um, from there, we, we're going to um, work out, you know, what to do. But we need to prepare for the fact it's going to be a, a bloodbath financially. Yeah, I mean, you you live and work in the city, in the city of London. Are things quiet just now? Is it spooky? Yes, they, they're, they've absolutely stopped. They've, they've absolutely stopped. Um, you know, so so it's a... One person said to me, um, this is 2007, 8, 9, 11, and the SARS um, calamity put together. Yeah. Wow. So, so it's, it's really problematic. Wow. Yeah. And if you're in Christian organizations, just to say the major donors, if they don't see us being sensible, it's very hard for them to give. So they're going to have less to give from. And therefore, you know, if you, if you can furlough, furlough. Take your time out, write a book or whatever you've got to do, prepare yourself so that you've got a bit of a parachute when you come back, because we're all going to be, I think, reworking what's possible. Yeah, yeah. Now, just moving on to, to stuff, um, preaching, for example, you, you're known as a preacher, you're also an evangelist. Do you think that, you know, preaching's had its day or do you think it's still a legitimate form of communication? Well, it's very interesting, brother, that the whole premise of Christianity Explored is the powers in the word. Mm. So we see ourselves as an evangelistic organization that does evangelism using the word of God, because that's where the power is. So as we preach Christ, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, God opens blind eyes. So, no, I'm totally committed to, 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 to preaching being how God opens blind eyes as we preach Christ. But, of course, it's not just from the front. It's small group. It's one-to-one, it's at home. But interestingly, 
you know, the key to one-to-one is that you then bring your friend along to here, to church, so they're in community and they're hearing the Bible taught. Um, so no, I mean, I, and 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 I think that you know that when you hear people saying, look, you know, there's no longer the power in preaching, you just know there's been a loss of confidence in where the power is. Absolutely, um, yeah, and and it's good that you said that preaching takes many forms. I mean, you you read the New Testament, Jesus preached a few folk from a hillside, he preached from a boat. Um, Philip speaks a guy in a chariot. You know, there's lots yeah. and lots of different methodologies. One thing, uh, I noticed, yes, although I, I mean it does. Although again, I think the gathered church on a Sunday, there's something special about that too. I mean, we are opening the Bible, and there's great power in that. But I also think. The church together, sitting under the word of the pastor teacher, is something we've always got to hold in our hearts. And I'm an evangelist, so my job is to gather people for the pastor teacher so that he can teach them the Bible. Um, what I do want is the pastor teacher modeling it himself too, so he's doing the work of the evangelist. So I hope he's trying to get people too to come along. But um, you know, I have a I have a great um sense of the power of of the church family together under God's word. On a on a Sunday, yeah, I'm glad you said um, about gathered church because you know a lot of folk are saying you know with this burgeoning of online churches just now they're saying wow this is the future you know um, whereas I'm I'm saying no it's only a temporary expedient um, you know I really don't want to see the gathered church being devalued. Oh my dear my dear brother, we'll have zoomed ourselves to death by the time <laughs> this is over. I mean you know if someone invites me to another Zoom conference, I think we'll want to shoot ourselves. So. No, and, and I think we're missing the physical, even though we're screwed up English middle, you know, people in London, yeah. we're missing hugging each other. Yeah. We're missing the physicality. I mean, you know, I think of the individuals locked in at the moment and the battles they've got there, you know, and wonderfully the Lord Jesus we pray is deeply present, but my goodness me, I'm missing the grannies and the families and, and giving people a hug as you see them. And, you know, there's the physicality of meeting. Um, so, so no, I think, I think, I think we'll be longing to get back together. Um, uh, the uh, prayer is that we can be bringing people with us because because they've been brought to a point where um, that James four verse, I think James four verses thirteen and fourteen is huge at the moment. You know, you, you don't know what's happening tomorrow. Now, I've been brought up in a generation who, in its arrogance, have always thought exactly what they're going to do tomorrow, but. You know, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Well, a few people are now learning that to be the case. And the only certainty is God. And uh, hopefully they'll come with us to church when this is over. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, one of the things I've noticed about your preaching that's always intrigued me is that you just you just hold don't hold back, and that that's great. You're you're not afraid to talk about heaven. You're not afraid to talk about hell. Do you ever get much pushback about talking about the reality of hell? Yes, yes. I mean, there is. Well, they're actually not on hell because I think I find on hell, I say to people, look. When I take funerals, I'm longing to talk about heaven. How on earth can I talk about heaven, which Jesus speaks of and promises us, if I don't also talk about hell? So I do blame it all on Jesus. And actually, I've had very few complaints about talking about hell. The thing that I've had complaints and been clobbered about is talking about repentance. Mm -hmm. Repentance is the key issue for the next 20 years. I think that one word. 
that we we turn away from what Jesus says is wrong. So repentance means I'm for what Jesus is for and against what he's against. And I've been no platformed, um, you know, forbidden from speaking in Parliament. I was down to speak last Easter, so the invitation was withdrawn. Westminster Council um, wouldn't let me come and speak. Uh, recently, Oxford University invited me and then and then had to disinvite me because they said there'll just be such a commotion because of the things you've said about repentance, particularly in the area wow. of human sexuality. Wow. Yes, because what I've said is, look, there's only one place for marriage. It's between a man and a woman. Um, every other place, there's only one place for sex. It's between a man and a woman within marriage. And everywhere else, if you have sex, it's sinful. And you must turn from that. And if you don't, you'll face judgment. Now, when you say that, however graciously, it makes people livid. And that's why I was getting no platformed and and... And indeed, the new word is cancelled. What's interesting there, Oxford University cancelled me coming. And the next thing I found was that the term at Oxford University had been cancelled. So that was a bit ironic. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of said to the Lord, OK, I, you know, I mean, I did feel a certain. Now, it wasn't just me. It was Amber Rudd and, uh, you know, someone else as well. In one week, they were just saying, no, we're not hearing any of these people, which is extraordinary for an institution of that calibre. Yeah. To be against free speech in that way i know many of the dons and, and would be upset about it but but i do think the lord was like you know well if you won't allow my word to be to be preached then we'll cancel the whole term so well, i mean yeah, yeah. Well, what does that say about society if you know you're an, an ordained c of e you know minister Orthodox. 39 articles you know 50 years yeah. ago you were you know, maybe in 20 years ago, you know, you're just standard C of E. And now you find that you're being no platform. What was that saying well, about society? Well, that is true. Although I do think we're going to talk about, you know, people are now saying we'll talk about BC and AC before coronavirus and after it. Mm. Because everyone's horizons have changed. And if you've got any sense, you're having chats about death. Because even young people are dying in this because it's about dosage. You know, if you just get a few particles of it, you can get the antibodies together and recover. But I've just had a doctor friend who a perfectly healthy 33-year-old has just died wow. um, under, under his care because he'd had a massive dose. Mm -hmm. So what this means is, you know, you need to have everyone needs to be talking about death. They don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They could die. And, you know, the, the trust in the idols of sport and of um, financial flourishing and of family and of health i mean all these things are up for grabs they've just been cancelled and so i think that i think we're going to be in a very different place for gospel preaching right now i'm i'm looking forward to saying to people you know in future sorry that comment you've made seems to be a before coronavirus comment i mean don't you know what we've just been through what are the certainties yeah, and then, I mean, uh, by the time this recording goes out, we'll probably be week three. This this is going to go on for a long, long time, and there's going to be an awful lot of damage. Yes, well, people are saying this, that it's not just, it's not me, it's the it's the commentators I trust, you know, as I read the papers and things, are saying this is going to change us. And you've got to decide where your trust is. So I think this is a massive boost on the macro level for evangelism, because what we've been saying about the frailty and fragility of life is actually going to be believed. My contemporaries, for the first time, do not know what will happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I've got a friend who's got two brothers who've always turned away from the gospel and been unbelievably self-reliant and arrogant. And uh, both of them um, are 
are in brutal circumstances in this. And now the, the, what we have to pray is, Lord, may they start asking the right questions. What amuses yeah. me at the moment is that the debate today program still won't ask the right questions, which is what is God saying in this? Yeah. And what am I? But, yeah. you know, we're going to feel we're going to, you know, pray that we will do that. At the same time, though, let's put our arms around and have compassion for those people who are going to get clobbered. I mean, particularly in the third world, I mean, people who are paid daily and, you know, they're going to be workers in, in Africa and other places who are not going to be able to eat and are going to starve because of this crisis. So at the same time, it's unmitigated agony and we must do what we can to serve. But, so it's the macro and the micro going on together. Yeah, it's interesting how peripheral issues seem to be just evaporating. Um, you know, nobody's talking about, you know, transgender and stuff like that. We're, yes. we're even beginning to get a rainbow back, which is quite good news, you know. Uh, well, well, it is, it, brother, it is extraordinary. And, you know, you do look at the people who've dominated the airwaves. And, um, you know, they've had something to say because at the same, at the same time, um, you know, we the church has not been good with minorities and so you know alan turing went to the same school as me and you know there is the man who invented the enigma machine yeah. and you know we've got to hear this story he saved probably 40 million lives with his group and shortened the world the, the the war by two years in terms of the intelligence that he was able to find through that brilliant scientific endeavor and then he was pursued to his death as a gay man in the mid 50s it's absolute agony that story and we need to we need to hear it, but at the same time, the way in which there's been this political correctness, I, I would, I would be surprised if we go back to that because, um, as you say, they don't have a voice for the people who this very night will die of coronavirus and whose families will be grieving tomorrow but not be able to attend the funeral because they're no group survivors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so I, so I think that we we need to hold on to that moment and. Um, and I think it will. I think people will say, you know, you know, what did you have at that point? Did, um, we're just writing a new little course called Hope Explored for three weeks post-Christmas, post-Easter, with exactly this in mind. Because John Lennox said to us, it's hope that people don't have. And that's what we're discovering now. Okay, so we'll, we'll Hope Explored, uh, did the idea of that come before the coronavirus? or Yes, you... it did. So wonderfully, we've already tested it in churches. We wrote it, ran it a couple of times at All Souls, three times. Then we pushed it out to churches, having videoed it. They've given us feedback. We're rewriting on the basis of their feedback. Um, my colleague, Alistair Gledhill, is, is doing that. And then, and then, you know, we're going to be recording it, hopefully, in September. So it'll be, you know, coming out you know post in you know 2001 uh 2021 we hope mm -hmm. in january so if people go at christmas you can say just give us three weeks because we love christian export the trouble is it's seven weeks it's too long to get people yeah. on at christmas so yeah. you say come for three weeks give us january three evenings and look at hope where do you find hope if coronavirus tore us anyone we've got to get this sorted so you know wonderfully we've done a lot of the work for that although of course the present environment will be causing us to to tweak what we're saying mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you've still got capacity um just now to to tweak it and to make it relevant to the current circumstance yes we haven't filmed it yet and so we're very much trying to get you know to make it contemporary in terms of that and working with cover your prayers as we do that but you know the, the big issue is is where where do you find hope and um you know where where, where can we find that and we're, we're, we're picking up um the way in which jesus described 
in Isaiah 9, verse 6, as the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We're seeing how those, those descriptions of Jesus came true in the Gospels. And those past certainties, if you look back, you can look forward and have confidence now. Because if that was what was fulfilled about him, we can see that the future will be fulfilled too. So can you put your trust in Jesus? Yeah. So we're trying to pick up um, Isaiah 9, verse 6. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm reading just now N.T. Wright's book on Paul. It's quite interesting. There's a lot of N.T. Wright stuff I really like, you yeah. know, like everybody else. I like this idea of the gospel being the, the kingdom. Um, yeah. I think that's really quite interesting. He's got a point there. Uh, the corporate nature as opposed to the individualistic I've got yes. a, a, a little concern, though, that, and we spoke about it earlier, about that there is, do you think, still the call to the individual to repent? Yeah? <laughs> well, absolutely. And, and, and let may I say that in the present culture, the individual has to leave their tribe in order to repent. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that makes repenting so difficult is like the thief on the cross. You have to distance yourself from your friends. You know, the thief said to the, the other thief, you know, don't you fear God? This is who this man is. He rebuked his friend. He stepped away from the crowd. And, and you know, there, there, there will be that need um, to do that. That will never leave us. So the individual having to, to count the cost and follow, indeed, John Stott with the Christian Explore material looked at it and said, you've got to do a whole day away before they become Christians on counting the cost. So you, 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 we do have to do that. And the danger with some of N.T. Wright's stuff is that is that such is his love of the church is he says, look, come and join this community. But does, is there really that emphasis on the individual being justified themselves and repenting themselves. Sure. And if we think of kingdom, you know, the verse that comes to them and is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the entry into yes, exactly. uh, the entry into the kingdom. Re Brother, repentance is going to be the word that breaks that separates the Church of England. Wow. The, the Church of England is at present separating over that word. Mm -hmm. Those people who say we have to repent of all sin, including sexual sin, and those who say we don't. Because that's, it's not then about repentance, it's about the authority of scripture. And so GAFCON movement, the Southern Hemisphere, um, are the churches led by places like Nigeria um, and indeed Sydney, Ugandan churches who are saying, no, we will not compromise, you've got to repent. And then sadly, you know, our prayer is that, is that um, uh, in this country, the, the, the bishops and co will see that unless we do people to call people to repent appropriately, what will happen is the Holy Spirit will depart because the, he is the Holy Spirit. And so, I mean, he, he God, Jesus says, I'll remove my lampstand unless you repent. That's the, one of the key messages to the churches in Revelation. Well, what does repentance look like on an individual basis? Uh, specifically, is it always a harrowing experience? Does it always lead to tears? when the law works in, in your life, or do you think it looks differently in different people? Well, brother, it's interesting. I mean, let, let's be honest about it. Um, in Romans 8, verses 12 and 13, there's a daily putting to death the sinful nature. Mm -hmm. So that I am embarking on a lifelong struggle as the Holy Spirit um, uh um, takes on it wonderfully. He humbly indwells me, and he takes on the battle 
of helping me put to death my sinful nature, which daily is is rising up to put myself first. So it's a painful experience. What's interesting about it is that whilst you feel you get worse and worse, the impression of others is that you do change. (laughs) So I remember 20 years ago, um, a guy was at our newcomer evening and I I said, oh, how you come along? He said, look, I've been a Christian two months, but I'm not sure I am a Christian because there's just so much that I keep doing and there's so much wickedness in my life. So I've booked up straight away to see him afterwards and do Romans 8 verse 1. There's no condemnation in Christ. A couple of minutes later, I met a girl and I said, why are you here? She said, I've never been to church, but she pointed at the bloke I've just spoken to and she said, that's my twin brother. He's changed so much in the last two months. I want to find out what's happened. Mm-hmm. So his experience of himself was of his overwhelming sin. But her experience of her twin brother was, my goodness me, I've known this bloke since we were born, and the change is extraordinary. So do you see what I mean? It's quite interesting repentance. Yeah. Painful for us, but it's lovely for the people around us. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one, to me, the, the most powerful moment in, in uh, Christianity explored is when the concept of grace is is introduced to me is it's a game changer um talk a little bit about what grace is and i'm thinking especially in the context it's maybe more american the kind of grace movement when folk are reveling in grace they're almost boasting in grace can you just outline a little bit what you understand what well, the Bible's understanding well, of grace is? what a lovely question to be asked <laughs> i think the absolute key is that you realize that God makes a declaration about you that you are declared righteous and you're not righteous. You know all your sin. But when you trust in what Christ has done, you are given his righteous life. So you no longer live for approval, but from it. And you relate to God, not through your own performance, which is hopeless, but Christ's. And so it's just this extraordinary feeling of of um, liberty that God has declared you right with him despite all your sin. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I love um, Luther's um, illustration in The Freedom of a Christian. Well, I'll make it contemporary, but this, it, this always warms my heart. You know, imagine, um, you know, what is this, nine, ten years ago, um, just before he got married to Kate Middleton. Yeah. Imagine Prince William walking out of St. James's Parish Palace, walking up Haymarket, uh, getting to the top and turning, as he got to the top, right into Shaftesbury Avenue and then left into Soho, 10 in the morning with a ba- baseball cap on his head so people can't see who he is. And he finds a woman there. She's got needle marks up and down her arms. There are clients who've used her. There's a stench of alcohol. The language is terrible. And imagine him taking her by the hand, and much to the chagrin of Kate Middleton and the amazement of the world, saying, we're going right now to Westminster Abbey to be married. Yeah. And he takes her to Westminster Abbey. He says, now you'll be my wife. He dresses her in white. And then he says to her, now please come home with me to St. James's Palace and live with me forever. Yeah. Now that's what God does with us. He justifies us and he adopts us. Yeah. And uh, we do not deserve it. We, 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 you know, we're like that prostitute yeah. and yet we have been declared righteous and adopted. Yeah. Now, if, if, if that doesn't get your blood running, then you've not understood Christianity because, because the key to getting it to understanding it is to seeing the depth of your sin. Yeah. Because you hear that, you think, well, I'm not like that woman. 
then you're not going to get it. You're like the Pharisees. But if you get your own sin, then grace becomes more and more amazing. Amazing. So you know we're 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 more we're more wicked than we ever imagined, and more loved than we ever dreamed. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say to people. Yeah, I, I was in church quite recently with 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 this guy, and he he wasn't a believer. He was a police officer, and uh, we we sang a hymn. You know, the vilest believer who truly believes that moment in Jesus a pardon receives, and I could tell the guy was really really uneasy about that. You know, he says, you know, yeah. and I spoke to him. He says, he said, I deal with vile offenders. Are you telling me that they can be, you know, that's right, you know, just just like that? So I guess grace is offensive, isn't it? Well, well, it is, and the only way up is down. But mm. but it continues in our Christian life. You know, I lo- I love Simeon who said, "I grow downwards into my sin. I see my sin. I see God's grace. I'm overwhelmed by joy each day." And then he'd go out and love his fellow man. I mean, here's a. Here's a quote I often come back to. It's Alf Stanway talking to some men entering the ministry in the 1950s. So these men are very old or dead now. But he wrote, he said this to them. If other people knew you like God knows you, all your faults, all your vain thoughts, all your sins, all the things in your heart, all the wrong thoughts you ever had, would they trust you with the kind of work God trusts you with? Here's the supreme confidence that God has in his own grace. He'll take the like of you and me and give us the privilege of being his saints. You know, if I ever lose that sense of overwhelming privilege to be doing this, because if you knew my heart, you wouldn't bother speaking to me. Yeah. And if I knew yours, I wouldn't bother being interviewed. Yeah. You see what I mean? But yeah. God, God sees our sin and yet he declares us righteous. Absolutely. Okay, now we're, we're moving towards the end here. Time is moving on. Just a, a few thoughts before we conclude. I mean, we, we're living in really disturbed days you know, rampant secularization, opposition, no platform cancellations, um, coronavirus. Uh, <laughs> are these good days to be an evangelist, Rico? Well, I think it's very interesting. We've moved from Athens to Babylon. In Athens, you needed to articulate your faith, which was the world of John Stott. You know, he he made an amazing defense with people like Packer of Christian faith. Yeah. And, you know, in the in the Agora, you have to stand up and defend your faith. In Babylon, you just need guts. Yeah. So we, we've gone from needing, you know, we, there has been a respectability we can intellectually defend. We, we need courage now. But I mean, I do I do believe that these days of coronavirus are are a profound shock. And we, we do need courage. But at the same time, people are having their worldviews shattered and their securities shattered. Their arrogance is shattered. So, so I'm 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 profoundly excited by what's going on at the moment because I just think that, um, you know, the thing about the great empires. I got this off Chris Wright, who works at All Souls with Lang and Partners. Is he said that they get you to believe that there's absolutely no other worldview possible. Well, let me tell you, a lot of people believe that three weeks ago. I don't think they believe it now. <laughs> I mean, I really don't. I think they they have gonna they're having to change their worldview because. Because um, there's so much that's being lost. Mm. Rico, Rico, thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, We do wish you every blessing in your ministry there in the centre of London as you work in that great laboratory, which is All Souls. And you're seeing, you know, we do hope you see signs falling. Thank you for giving us your time. Pleasure. Delightful to be with you.